For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. There it is. This is his third time on the show and his first time by himself. I talk to this dude all the freaking time. Pat, what's going on, dude? Hey, Kyle. How's it going, man? Excellent. I'm, uh, I'm excited to finally do this. We uh, shoot the shit all the time and uh, just haven't got a chance to finally do it one-on-one. So uh, I'm glad to finally have you on. Um, I noticed you're wearing your uh, Pig Destroyer shirt. I'm not that familiar with Pig Destroyer, but I, I know they're kind of at the same wheelhouse, a lot of stuff we kind of typically listen to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pig Destroyer is one of my favorite bands. Okay. What the hell was I listening to? Somebody, who the hell did I reply to on Twitter? I replied to somebody. I think it was Forrest Mommy, and uh, somebody that follows her was in a, in a metal band, and yeah, he sent me his band. They were actually really good. God, I wish I could remember what the fuck they were called, because they were actually... They were kind of like a newer metal band. I don't want to say like a gent, but like, I don't know how to describe but they were really good. I don't know if like, you know, like who North Lane is. They kind of remind me of them a little bit. North Lane or like Phineas. No, I, I, I mean, I have to warn you that in my younger days, I was quite the metal snob. No, dude, don't worry me too. Listen, I used to go into hour-long fights with people in middle school about why, like, Miley Cyrus sucks and why I hate a day to remember. Dude, I would oh, just no. be destroying people. That was my whole fucking childhood was being a metal elitist. <laughs> well, it was, it was so funny, too, because, like, I, I still remember when I got into Black Dahlia Murder for the first time. And, and of course, that's kind of been in the news because Trevor Sternad yeah. uh, took his own life last week. And... Um, I remember my friend Josh had a nocturnal t-shirt and just from the way that the lettering was styled, I automatically writ them off as like a deathcore band. Yeah. And of course I was a snob at the time. Now I just don't give a shit really. But, um, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know about them, you know, but then I, I checked out nocturnal and it was. I, I still, like, I don't remember the first time I listened to it, but I remember the way I felt the first time I listened to it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the most important thing for, like, most uh, most music that you hear. Uh, I remember listening to, like, uh, Corrosion of Conformity for the first time. I know that's, like, yeah. in a way separate realm, but, like, I heard Albatross. I'm like, oh, my God, just, like, the groove and the very end where it's just this loud, you know, ripping kind of, classic rock style solo with these sludgy stoner metal riffs it just never leaves my mind that's one of those songs that like 
you know, the first nice day of the year, you get to roll down the windows. Well, I don't know if you, you could necessarily relate to this, but here in Pennsylvania, <laughs> when you just went through like six months of winter and then finally no, no. six. <laughs> I, I live in Wisconsin, so I know exactly what I, you're I don't know why I was thinking about Texas. I, I must have been thinking about somebody else. But, yeah, okay, so you know then. You get a, couple, yeah. a whole shitload of months of winter, and then finally it's like 60 degrees. And you put down the windows, and it's like, oh, my God, it's beautiful outside. Yeah. You know exactly what I mean. It's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what kind of shit were you into when you were younger? Because I know, I think you said you were, like, cutting grass, listening to Lamb of God. And uh, but the first show I ever went to, I, I loved Lamb of God. I loved Guar. So uh, the first concert I ever went to, I was 15 years old. And my mom's boyfriend took me to go see Job for a Cowboy, yeah. Guar, and Lamb of God. And it was so memorable. I remember being 15 years old and just feeling the bass in my chest outside the venue. And there was nothing like it. From there, I was hooked. Well, one of my favorite feelings in the world is like the the suck of the double bass kick when when you're oh, like in the front row. Yes. Um. Yeah. It, it's so I've I've been a metal head all my life. Like my mom introduced me to Judas Priest when I was probably too young to be listening to it. Oh no way! <laughs> <laughs> so maybe when I was like five or six years old, and I mean I was always into like ACDC and stuff like that, yeah. and I. I remember in, in young middle school, my dad got me into like Metallica and stuff, but, um, you know, having the, having like the kind of the new wave of British heavy metal, like I always listened to Iron Maiden and, and Judas sure. Priest and, and stuff growing up. And I remember in middle school, like I bought, I, I, there was one visit to Best Buy where I got Ashes of the Wake. Oh I got yeah. Under Oaths, Define the Great Line, and They're Only okay. Chasing Safety. And I got Slayer's Christ Illusion, and um, and Lamb of God's. I, I think I said that one already. Yeah, uh, Ashes and Sacrament in the same trip, oh. and that was really a defining. And Burn the Priest, I got that album too. Yeah. Um, but I like all through all through middle school, I worked uh, landscaping for my dad, and so all summer long, I would just sit on the lawnmower and listen to metal. And when I first listened to harsh vocals, it really kind of scared me. <laughs> um and i played in a band at the time i mean just kind of not serious stuff but yeah i mean ever since then i've just been immersed in this kind of stuff and it it's a huge part of my life and who i am and in trevor sternad specifically like i was a creative writing major in undergrad and his his lyrics especially on unhallowed really influenced me and he was like uh, I, someone I looked up to personally as an artist. And uh, it just really, really sucked and was a real bummer to see that he had taken his own life. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that is tragic. Well, you know what? I really, I saw Black Dahlia Murder once and it was at Stage A, which is like the big venue down here in Pittsburgh. And um, I can't remember who the hell they were with. I think it might have been the Metalocalypse tour. So it was really, <laughs> I, I want to say it was okay. So it was them, All That Remains, Machine Head, and Death Clock. And uh, so you were talking about kind of writing off Nocturnal earlier. And I kind of did the same thing with All That Remains, funny enough, because all my friends were in All That Remains. I'm like, I don't know, they're like way too heavy for me. I don't like them. And then, like, I gave them a chance. Um, I want to say shortly after. Um, for we are many came out which was like 2011 and i i absolutely love them and now you know literally just before we hopped on here phil labonte retweeted me which is like 
just fucking nuts <laughs> to me. But um, to go back to Black Dolly Murder, I never really got into them, but um, he sang on Trevor on a Soulfly song called uh, oh, what the fuck is it called? Not Enslaved. Uh, it was on that album Enslaved that came out in I think it was 2013. Um, World Scum. And that song just, I remember when I first heard that song and specifically his parts in it, it's just like this face ripping fucking death metal that was just, <laughs> you feel it in your bones. And the first time I heard that song, I'm like, oh my God, this is so freaking good. He, he did a lot of guest spots and in, in my understanding, I mean, he did the obituarist, uh, the obituarist column on, I don't know if it was Metal Injection or if it was another outlet. But my understanding is that he really wanted to be, you know, joining other people's projects to try to promote them and to bring up the scene as much as he could okay. himself. Wow. And uh, yeah, just it it sucks. <laughs> There's yeah. no way around it. <laughs> um, yeah, that guy for me was a uh, dime. And obviously I was two, I was 10 years old when Dime was killed. But uh, just watching like the Vulgar Home videos and reading his biography and everything you like understand who he was and then watching the videos of him doing shots with everybody and just like seeing the way Pantera was, that was, uh, people throw rocks my way over here and there for us uh, saying this, but I do believe Pantera was the best band to walk the earth just because like the legacy and the energy that they brought, it was second to none, especially in the nineties when it wasn't popular to be heavy and they yeah, just, yeah. just ruled. And then especially, what was it far beyond driven in 93 topped the charts for like months on end. And that was, that wasn't like, it was a soft record. I mean, that was heavy as fuck. Use my third arm strength beyond strength throws a rejection. Like those songs were heavy as fuck. And it was chart topping. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never got into Pantera very much. Oh. So I'm it, like, <laughs> I don't know what it is exactly. If, um, but the you know because they were always like that kind of that southern groove right yeah and i mean would you put lamb of god as being like a direct descendant of that kind of style sure. yeah 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 and i mean for for me like i don't know there's there's this fascination that i have with the way that metal makes you feel like, yeah I actually, I took, I took a, a rock history class as a throwaway elective in college. Uh-huh. And I, I remember getting really mad when he said that Arch Enemy was death metal. That really <laughs> made me angry. And, and like, I remember like, like um, nerding out and there was this like normal girl like sitting next to me and I was just getting pissed. And she was like thinking I was really weird or something. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, there's a feeling to it. And like, I just don't think people understand unless you love metal, like the way that you, me or Tommy, you know, yeah. Tommy does. You just, you can't explain it to people. Like when, so today I was like my deadlifting day, right? It was all my pulling motions and I cannot listen to Brad Paisley or Luke Bryan <laughs> or Waka Flocka and pull 405, right? But, you know, I was listening to, I was listening to Havoc. I was listening to Revocation, uh, Warbringer. And uh, I feel like I missed one here that I had the playlist. But regardless, uh, real heavy shit and thrash yourself. Because I've been kind of getting into that. Um, Tommy had me and uh, Dave Sanchez and a couple other people on his uh, show to talk about, like, the music industry and COVID. And ever since then, I've been hooked on Havoc. They are so freaking good. I'm, like, so disappointed I didn't start listening to them sooner. I saw them for the first time in, like, 2014, I uh -huh. think. 
because I have they have like a face ripper t-shirt that's like the yeah. tar man from Return of the Living Dead. And, uh, okay, yeah. And I have that. I've had that cut off, and I've had I bought it at their show, and I've had it for like ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Havoc is a great band, and in in Revocation is really good too because like I just I really admire David Davidson. Yeah. Like I don't know if, if you went to Juilliard or something, but the deep tracks because i'm a guy who gets into deep tracks mm-hmm. and um on on deathless the deep tracks in that have a lot of really jazzy solos mm-hmm. that really touch you in like a very yeah. deep place um it's really good shit like i collect vinyl too and so i i had to get that one on vinyl okay and, uh, when it came in i'm a really happy guy yeah you know what i remember seeing them and I, I talked to him briefly. I think they opened for Guar back in 2011, 2012. And uh, I, I told her, I asked him what kind of guitar he's playing because I still wasn't that knowledgeable at the time. And uh, I remember them playing Dismantled Dictators. And I hadn't heard of them before that, but that song always like stuck with me. And I finally checked them out a couple of years later. And like their first album was insanely good. Second album was crazy good. Third album like Harlot, No Funeral, where they have all these like super melodic solos. That dude's just so freaking good. And the thing that like, the I hate them in a way because uh, like he plays riffs that I can't play regularly, but he sings and plays. Like that dude is so yeah. ridiculously talented. But yeah, they're, they're fucking amazing too. So yeah, I've seen them once. I've seen Guar, oh, I think. Fires up on me here. Oh, God damn it. Let's see, it'll bring me back here in a second. Somebody's going to have some video editing to do, which is not going to be a lot of fun. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, <laughs> my back, yeah, dude. I, I, I keep saying I'm going to strangle the next Comcast guy that I see. Um, <laughs> no it, worries, it, man. Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen. I saw Revocation once. I saw Camara at Mister Small's, which was a uh, like a small venue, but they would always pack it in there. But yeah, seeing Guar there was like awesome because they would sell it out every single time and it's a real small venue so as soon as they come up you're packed in and you're getting fake blood all over you it's <laughs> like if you tell normal people this they would think you're fucking insane but there's just something else about being at a glory concert that's just like otherworldly and it's like a brotherly love kind of thing i don't know i always loved it i remember i think it was the second time i seen them and uh, it was obama and I think Mitt Romney, that they had waltz out on stage. Yeah, they have these enormous necks. And then Odorous came out with a sword and held it up to Obama's neck. And <laughs> held up to Mitt Romney's. And he fucking sliced their heads off and started spraying blood everywhere. The most memorable, like, experiences ever. They had Lady Gaga come out dressed up as a toilet. And her tits were made out of shit. <laughs> they ripped them off <laughs> and was squirting blood everywhere. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the best concerts that I went to was uh, Napalm Death did um, the Amsterdam in, in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And we were front row, and it was a really intimate venue. And um, it was just incredible. I've seen Napalm Death a couple times. They're one of my favorite bands, too. Mm-hmm. Like When I was in law school, I got into like a really big grindcore kind of phase. Oh, okay, like, yeah. I go through a lot of phases and like, I don't phase out of them. They stick with me. Yeah. And, and so that way I just kind of add to my whole palette throughout mm-hmm. my life. Yeah. And um, yeah, I went through a big grind phase and it helps that Napalm was like pretty anti-war. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're pretty left, you know, which yeah. is what you get. 
grind is like right. grind is really kind of the meeting of of death metal and um and hardcore mm-hmm. and so for i just for the audience but um yeah so like pig destroyer and napalm are, are my two two of my favorite grind bands and mm-hmm. and both of them they just kick ass i haven't seen pig destroyer um in concert but yeah napalm is just great do you know uh, misery index I do, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing uh Carrie and Call, and this could tell you how long ago this was, back on like the music choice channels on uh I think it was Comcast or Dish. The VH1. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the heavy metal channel. And I remember hearing Carrie and Call. I'm like, oh my god. I think it was like the verse of the and it goes to like this crazy fucking blast beat. And I'm like, this is fucking badass. <laughs> and that whole album, uh, I think it was Airs to Thievery. Um front to back just fucking killer and all their newer stuff too is really good so uh yeah i, I haven't listened to them in a little bit but yeah um i, I definitely feel what you're saying when you say uh you kind of like go in moods so yeah. uh i was in like a real metalcore mood a couple weeks ago to like trivium and some of like the older stuff i used to listen to a lot like a lot of that early 2000s new wave american heavy metal kind of stuff and now like i said i'm listening to way more thrashy stuff and i've always loved revocation but now i'm like sprinkling in evile again yeah um, i remember them yeah, yeah revocation um havoc warbringer stuff like that so that's kind of where if you went into like a, a metalcore phase like i gotta talk my my absolute adoration for kill switch engage like that that band like especially the howard jones era yes really <laughs> is is very special to me like those yeah. as daylight dies that was also mm. something i got into in middle school yeah um yeah just uh in the end of heartache those two albums to me are just perfect and and especially when howard jones would sing the songs um from jesse's era from the earlier stuff fixation on the darkness oh my god there's that um set this world ablaze dvd where they did a show in boston and Uh, that is it like they got the sound just right because the whole thing crunches yep and and kill switch sounds heavier in that album than they actually are Mm -hmm. so yeah great and howard's cleans on that are really good Mm -hmm. yeah so uh I remember getting the limited edition of As Daylight Dies. Uh, they just put Walmart up in Natrona Heights, which is a small town that I grew up in. And I just used to walk everywhere. So I think I went and I got a pomegranate Arnold, Ar- pomegranate Arnold Palmer tea. And it, <laughs> it tasted like shit. But I got the limited, like the special edition of As Daylight Dies, which had Holy Diver on it, um, this oh, yeah. Fire Burns, and like a couple other B-side tracks that were uh, – fucking amazing and that was one of those songs that kind of shaped my uh, musical taste so it was like that um ascendancy by trivium obviously like the fall of ideals and overcome by all that remains this dark good heart was really good too um sacrament wrath and ash to the wake by lamb of god a lot of the stuff by god forbid was phenomenal shadows fall all that stuff that was like my whole childhood like middle school up until high school and obviously like pantera was pantera is my favorite band but um you know, obviously everything for Pantera as well. And then, uh, honestly, I've always liked all Metallica stuff too, even and Scott Horton blocked me at one point and he unblocked <laughs> me, thank God. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> I felt bad that you were blocked, but it made me laugh a lot. 
Yeah, yeah, that was kind of funny. But yeah, no, I, I love all Metallica, even all their newer stuff, even Load and Reload, just because I'm a big blues guy too. So like Gary Moore, Melvin Taylor, Albert King, BB King, I love all those guys. But, um, you know, like the uh, slower stuff from Load and Reload, I thought was really good. Although most people would like hang me if I tell them that. <laughs> okay, so my, I guess my guilty pleasure along those lines is that I, I like Volbeat. Oh, I love um, Volbeat. I've seen them yeah. three or four times. I, I saw, you know, because my my dad and I, um, my dad is someone who like he he's very eclectic in what he likes, and it mm. seems like, you know, he doesn't get into the harder and heavier stuff with me very much, but it's like if I can find something that we can that we both like, it's I I really enjoy that because it's um, it's hard to find those things, and and growing up listening to Metallica when he would drive me around, put you know as a kid uh but then when i got older volbeat too and that was something that he liked and something you know as an elitist i was a little bit like all right okay but i mean the volbeat guys they are like real metalheads i mean they oh, yeah they had they had a song featured with rob helford and a song mm -hmm. featured with uh king diamond yeah and so it's like you know i can't get mad at that it's like you don't take it too seriously you don't take yourself too seriously yeah, well, their singer, I think, was talking about starting up, like, a black metal side project or something really? like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, people may rip on, like, Creed. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Tremonti's solo albums. I don't think so, no. Oh, my God. The guitar player from Creed and Alterbridge. I fucking love Alter Bridge because I think Miles Kennedy is a fantastic singer, and I get why people don't like him. But uh, honestly, I could not recommend people who like heavier music check out Tremonti um he he played guitar for Creed and Alter Bridge but he sings and plays on all his solo albums and they're actually kind of like heavy now he's not like screaming or anything like that but I mean he he loves Revocation you name like the death metal band he loves them and that dude can fucking play excellent so yeah definitely uh, check them out their uh, first album came out in 2009 i want to say and the one song was called wish you well and it's like super thrashy but it's it's really cool he has a really unique voice and uh just he's crazy good guitar player too yeah yeah so and it's funny like you could listen to all his albums like all his solo albums and then you listen to creed it's like holy fuck this it's the same guy playing guitar in both of them like it would blow that your mind cool. Yeah, but he's he's so freaking good, and I feel like he's like the hidden treasure, of like the metal world. It's like people who know him know like this dude's fucking good. But like, if you tell somebody, "Hey, I want you to listen to the guitar player from Creed," they'd be like, "What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about?" But right. what, yeah. once you dig in, it's really freaking good. I should have uh, I should have brought my battle vest down with me because <laughs> I, there's a lot of blood into that thing. Uh -huh. and, uh, I've I've taken it place like i took it to germany with me to a bunch of festivals um, um, you actually went to germany for like no shit well i didn't go to Wacken, yeah. but i went to there was a <laughs> i actually i have the poster here uh -huh. i don't know how it would work to take my camera but i have the poster here from the festival it was called geiselwind out out and loud festival mm -hmm. which i tried to explain to my german friends that a festival in the united states called out and loud would probably m be mistaken for like some gay rally or something like that <laughs> i was like out and loud huh that sounds like uh, a gay pride kind of thing but yeah but no i mean um yeah so yeah it was it was, i spent five months in germany and in college and uh it was awesome but wow. 
I, you know, I, I had, so I had started a podcast, Kyle, called uh, Sonic Insurgency. And because <laughs> I love, like, I could riff off metal the same way that I do libertarianism, you know, and um, I just didn't, you know, there's only a limited, there's only 24 hours in a day. So I, I don't, um, I kind of let it fall by the wayside a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess my goal with this podcast is just to literally do anything I fucking want to do. Like, I know it's entitled Liberty and Health, but, uh, yeah. you know, goddamn if I'm not going to talk about what the fuck I want to talk about. I don't want right. to be restricted. So, I'll, you know, I, I literally did an episode on automotive basics just because that's something that, you know, obviously I'm well-versed in. And I feel like it's probably good for people to know that. So, you know, man, I'm here to put out information and try to help people and just shoot the shit with cool people. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to watch that because, you know, my, my dad, uh, my dad is one of those old school, like can fix anything kind of yeah. guys. He was, um, he wore so many hats, man. I, and, and in a lot of ways, I mean, of course, in many ways, he's one of, he's my hero because like dad could do anything, you know, yeah. he still can. And like, um, he was a firefighter for a long time. He was an EMS driver. So like a paramedic too. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. And, and he was also a transmission specialist. So oh, wow. it's like all these different hats. Um, yeah. But um, it, it's not like, and I, I feel bad, you know, cause I'm his only son. I have a sister, but I'm his only son. And yeah. I took more after my mom than I did him. And so I never learned how to work on cars because I just didn't have the <laughs> aptitude, you know, or, or the natural inquisitive nature. Yeah. So my family's been fixing cars for probably over a hundred years. I mean, literally my great grandfather did it. His son did it, which is my grandfather. My dad does it. My dad's owned a shop for like 20 years now. And, uh, I think you, you can relate to this and I mean, you have kids now, so I mean, it's probably yeah. more on you, but like, I look at my dad and he's incredibly successful as a independent business owner and like you said, dad could fix anything. And I still look up to him as my hero. And like, he could just, if I, if I ever have questions, I always ask him. And if I ever need anything, he's always there. And I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. Do you ever feel like insignificant? Like you paused look out again. We might, we might have this issue. Oh, there you go. You're back. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, this, this internet's terrible. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure something out, but uh, do you ever look up to your dad and kind of think like, could I do that? Like, am I, Will I ever be that guy? Like, and especially, like I said, you have kids. So are you ever scared that like, I won't be the same man my dad was to me as for my kids? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of worry about it. Like, um, but at the same time, I know that I will never be like my dad, mm -hmm. um, which hurts in a way, but, um, we're just, you know, it's like, in a lot of ways we're so similar, but in a lot of important ways, we're not sure. And it's like, you know, you try, you try to chase after those things that you are similar at, uh, but life happens so fast. And then you just, you wish you would have done things differently. Like if I could go back in time, I would have put more effort into trying to learn things, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but there, there's always things going on that kind of, um, I don't want to say get in the way of that, but make it you know, more difficult than just saying, willing something to happen, you know, but, um, I really take after my mom a lot, like, um, just in terms of being kind of more of an intellectual and less of like a handy practical person. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and my dad was always the, the more practical 
even in the way he thinks about things and in the way he approaches problems. Yeah. And, and I really admire that. And I think I try to emulate it. Like I can do basic woodworking things and I reload my own ammunition. And so in a lot of ways, I, I, I take on some of those things, but I know I'll never be a mechanic or, you know, be able to wire my own, I don't know. I need to finish my studio, but you know what I mean? Like, so we do stuff together still. Yeah. But I mean, whenever it's something involved, like we're, we're putting in a new bathroom in the basement and for the more involved stuff like that, it's like, I know I'll never do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, I kind of know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad split up when I was about five years old. So as I gotten older, I lived with my mom all throughout my life. So uh, now as I get older, uh, I don't want to say like my mom's jealous. I spend a lot of time with my dad, but it's like, we didn't really get to see him a lot growing up. And I still don't get to see him a lot because I'm so freaking busy all the time. But uh, I I just like spending time with him just because I don't, you know, don't really have that same time. And I know he feels, uh, him and my grandfather had a rough relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think he kind of wants to make sure that like, hey, when I leave, whenever I pass away, I just want to make sure that my kids know that I love them and care about them. And I don't know, I look at my dad as such like a, uh, a rock and I try to emulate that too is in being a very stable calm person who's able to handle problems in a very very good fashion and even when I worked for my dad as a tech because he owns a shop and um, I would fuck stuff up he was still really good about just calm and if there was something like bad enough he'd be like okay well I can't look at that right now I just I need to do something else for the time being and I, like I was kind of asking you I kind of look at that and I'm like will I always be able to kind of keep that cool? (laughs) Well, I, one of my biggest failings as a parent so far is that I'm not very patient. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, believe it or not, I guess people don't see this side of me on my show, but like I, um, I'm, I get upset about things and I don't have like a whole lot of control over my, my emotions and coping school skills and things like that. Um, and you know, I'm not like some kind of maniac or something, but (laughs) it's like, you know, I, I've, I've noticed things about myself as just like, Oh, it'd be really nice if I could just chill for a second, but instead, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll work really hard at, you know, like I started my own business. So I'll work really hard at that and things will be stressful. And I'll just kind of bottle it up until I just kind of let go. Um, and so I, I wish that I had more patience with the kids. And, you know, there's, there's, it's not like the way that I act or the way that I handle things is abnormal because all parents go through some kind of thing where they're not good at something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you're a good parent, you recognize that and you, you wish you were better or try to work on it too. Um, when it comes to my son, you know, there's, I wish that I spent less time being preoccupied with social media or with what's going on in the world. And I think it's really important with your kids to have a period of time where you just put your phone away, like lock it up in the bedside table and get down there and start playing Legos or something, you know, like, and so what I've been trying to do is notice, and, and I naturally, I have a bad attention span. Like, I don't know if I have ADD or something. It's been rocket fuel for me in ways because it's allowed me to really obsess over ideas and, and, you know, the law and these abstract concepts and, and get into books and stuff. But 
practically speaking, it means that I get bored and distracted really easily when my kids are there. And it's like, I got to find something that piques my interest that we can do together. So for my son's third birthday, I bought him, I've, I've been getting into Hot Wheels. So um, I've been buying him Hot Wheels cars because I think it's cool. I like collecting. And I bought him a Hot Wheels track, one with the the spinner on it. And so it shoots some down the track. And, and so like, um, I've just been trying to bond with him in those ways and, and, uh, you know, pay more attention to that relationship because, you know, when you're a guy and your kids are young, it's like, what do you do with them? It, you know, we, you can only look at picture books for so long and it's just boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got you. Well, kind of, and you could once again, tell me because you have more experience in this area. Obviously my, my fiance and I are getting married in November. Yeah. And we plan to have kids shortly after, but, um, I feel like, you kind of have to have, you have to realize your weaknesses and strengths in a relationship. So like for Sarah and I, um, she's a little bit of a hothead, right? And actually over the last four years that we've been together, she's gotten a lot better. Like she used to be a lot angrier, but she still gets angry every here and there. But usually if she's angry now, it's like, okay, well, she was kind of right to be pissed off. And I don't necessarily agree with the way that she always handles it, but she handles it well, regardless. Like it used to be, she was throwing shit, but, and, and she never hit me. She never did. It sounds like I'm, I'm no, no. you know, <laughs> right. But she just had a temper, right? I'm a very, very calm person. I'm very patient. I, you know, it takes a while for me to get angry. I honestly don't think in the four years we've been dating, I don't think she's ever seen me like legitimately pissed off. Um, so that's kind of where we have our ebbs and flows, right? She's a hothead. I'm calmer. Um, she comes to me whenever she needs something a little bit more delicate and, you know, time consuming handled, and, you know, she's better at doing stuff around the house. There's certain things that she has strengths in, certain things that have weaknesses. And, um, do you feel like it's kind of the same way when you parent? Uh, in terms of like parenting with your significant other? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, my, naturally my wife is a nurturer, you know, um, and, and she's a lot more patient than I am. Um, but, um, you know, she just, she cares and, and sweats about a lot of the small stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and that's important because you need someone to do that. Whereas I'm a, a stereotypical guy. I'm like, oh, they're fine. You know, just rub <laughs> some dirt on it. It doesn't bother me if the kid is, you know, if, if our son is crying and crying and crying. Because like at nine or 10 months old, you need to sleep train them which mm -hmm. you, you can't just like when they're younger than nine months old, you can't just let them cry all night long. Cause they will. <laughs> but when they get nine or 10 months old, you know, you can go in and, and they should be sleeping through the night. So you can just kind of, you know, rub their back and say, Oh, it's okay, buddy. You know? Um, and, but, but when you break them and train them to sleep train, you have to let them cry for the first time. And, and it really bothers my wife because she's like, Oh, he's in there. He's really sad. He's just wondering why he's crying and no one's coming to help him. And I'm like, you know what? He needs to learn how to be, you know, self-soothing. <laughs> Let's just let him, you know, it doesn't bother. I can roll over and go back to sleep, whatever. Um, so I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but yeah, of course. I mean, you learn how, how to teamwork and um, like, I'll readily admit that I'm not an easy person to be in a relationship with. You know, I, I've experienced this in my life where um, I, the world revolves around me in a lot of ways and, and I'm selfish like that. 
and uh, I try and work on it, but I know it's a fault of mine. Whereas I'm just, I'm always so much in my own head that I forget the world exists. And uh, that's hard for a, a spouse to deal with. And uh, so I know that that's an issue. And I think it's probably the same way with kids, you know, um, with parenting. And in some ways, like, I think, I think it's kind of necessary because I'm the breadwinner and I have all these, these things going on, but uh, that doesn't mean that it's okay per se to, to just kind of roll with that and not think about the other side. Yeah. And I, I could definitely empathize with that as well, because I, you know, very, very strict on my nutrition, on my daily habits, on going to the gym and work and everything like that. And then the podcast, even I'm incredibly disciplined. And, you know, obviously over time, I'm going to have to start reducing the volume of podcasts I do. I can't consistently yeah. do three, three a week for Burn out, man. Yeah. Then they're done that. Yeah. I mean, I still feel good doing these and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to people, but uh, now that people are starting to ask me to go on their shows, it's like, all right, well, yeah. you know, so like literally this week, Monday was the only night where Sarah and I kind of got to like sit down and watch TV. Then Tuesday I had a podcast. Um, Wednesday was band practice. Tonight I had two, I went on a podcast recording this one. Tomorrow my band plays a show. Saturday my band plays a show. Like when we start playing lots of shows and I'm looking at podcasts, it's like it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm all over the place all the time. And, you know, I work out six days a week, but I typically try to like on the weekend mornings, she'll sleep in till like, 10 o'clock, right? I'm still up at 4.30 pretty much every single day, no matter what. So yeah. I get up and I still do my thing. So I try to get everything handled early in the morning. So that way it's like, okay, well, the rest of the day we can kind of spend together and kind of get stuff figured out that way. But yeah, I definitely empathize with being very, very, I don't want to say solipsistic, but very focused on yourself because at least for me, I feel like I can't pour from an empty cup, right? I have to do all these things. So that way I'm mentally sharp enough. So that way I'm you know, just ready to be available for whatever needs done for everybody else. Like if I don't do these things, then I'm not just on it, you know? I'd say in like, yeah, I I relate to that, but it sounds to me like some of your, some of your activities are more self-care, whereas mine are more, uh, I don't, I don't want to say self-destructive, but it's like, (laughs) I I dig my own hole, you know, like, uh, yeah. um, I noticed this thing because, you know, during COVID, I've been pretty open about it, but like mm-hmm. I, I went to see a therapist because things were getting pretty dark for me. And sure. um, I, uh, he pointed things out to me like, um, you know, did you realize that you stay up really late on the weekends and uh, you spend the entire week trying to catch up for that? You know, because mm-hmm. like, like um, at the end of the day, I'm like an escapist, you know, where, where I will try and get away from the world and, and crawl into whatever I'm, I'm into just for a mental break. Mm-hmm. He was like, uh, yeah, you know, you're, you're really making things tough for yourself because you stay up till like one or two on the weekends, every weekend, and you still have to get up at seven because that's when your kid gets up. So that's why you're so tired during the week, you know? It, so it's things like that. And I've also realized about myself is that I'm someone that I have to exercise to be sane. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those, those are a few things where like, um, it, it's, it's not necessarily constructive self-care things, but it's, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, my wife is the real hero behind 
Liberty Weekly and the stuff I've been doing. It's it'll be six years on Memorial Day that I've wow. been doing this stuff. And um she's the one who's sacrificed, you know, she's shouldered the load of when I have something going on, she's the one who takes care of it on the back end with the family stuff. And um uh, you know, there's lots of nights that she's sacrificed without me being there present. And uh in a lot of times you know, she takes a back seat to whatever I'm doing and, and that's really not fair, but it's, it's that she does that is why this exists. And I, I think there's something to be said because, you know, you, there's people in the Liberty community and the Liberty movement who keep preaching all these things um, about, we've talked about it on your show, <laughs> you know, preaching these things about, you know, having these traditional traditional values and in building wealth and doing all these things. And um, in a lot of ways, I just have to laugh because if you're pouring enough hours into being on the internet, you're definitely not giving the attention to your family that you could be. And I know, cause I'm not, you know, um, but in a lot of ways it pisses me off because if anything, I am the archetype of what the fuck they're talking about because I have made my own business. You know, I am raising uh, you know, I'm raising my kids, I'm doing activism and I'm doing all these things too. And it's just, um, it's a little irritating to have that condescending kind of thing, you know, from people without kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get that. And that's kind of why I try to phrase this as I'm trying to give people the tools to make themselves better. Right. So I used to say I'm in the business of building better libertarians, but I'm like, no, I, cause I can't do that. Right. I have to give people the information and then they have to apply that information. Yeah. So, you know, when I post videos of me deadlifting or doing any of the exercise stuff or diet or explaining how I'm consistent in doing stuff, it's typically of a place of this is what you know, I do, and this is what you may have to do to see results and to get where you want to go. So once again, I'm going to put out the information same way as you do, right? I mean, you put out all the anti-war stuff and write for the Libertarian Institute and do all the crazy research into the China stuff that nobody else is willing <laughs> yeah. to do. And you're great at that. So it's like, once again, you should chase all the, uh, you know, the wealth power and influence, but, um, I completely lost my train of thought, but well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not like a dick measuring contest, you know, right. the thing that pisses me off about it, it's just like, um, isn't there something in the Bible about like, you know, not looking into other people's cups or anything like that, you know, it's, it's yeah. just the judgy, judgy nature of it that mm -hmm. you feel like, you know, better than other people, what they should be doing with their time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely a, Actually, there's a big element of that there. And sometimes it's kind of like, yeah, it's a little necessary because there are some people who like their lives are a wreck and they're trying to run like the Libertarian Party. It's like, well, why don't you right. just let that take a backseat, get your life together, whatever you need to do, do that, and then kind of, you know, go out and do your political activism. The only reason why I started the podcast now at this point is because, okay, I'm getting married. I have my own house. You know, we have four cars between the two of us life is really good. I'm in the best shape of my entire life. So it was like, okay, now I feel like I'm in proper order to present myself to the public, right? I shouldn't be presenting myself to the public. If you would have seen me three years ago, 70 pounds heavier, um, I, I try not to say that I was depressed, but, you know, having suicidal thoughts, digestive issues, and being miserable quite a bit at the time, um, 
I was in no shape to tell anybody what to do or to give people information. I wasn't in the place to do it. So now, you know, three, four years later, I'm in a much better place and I'm much happier. So now I feel a little bit more able to kind of share this with other people. And so that's kind of where I feel like what they're saying is right. But you don't have to finger wag at people and tell them they're bad people for not doing the exact same thing as you, because maybe the Libertarian Party to some people is the best use of their time. Personally, for me, at this time right now, it's not. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the future, but right now it's not. And that's okay. For other people, their priorities are going to be different. And that's okay, right. too. Anybody who wants to do whatever form of activism they see fit, go do it. You know, as long as it's kind of by Libertarian values, then I support you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I... And, and it's, it's like, you know, the internet is, is a, it's a stupid place, man. And it's like, (laughs) in a lot of ways, it's just a lot of like, so for instance, there was some drama going on on Twitter and involving, and I don't usually name drop, but like Top Lobster and Jack V. Lloyd, you know, and it just seemed like it really devolved into this. And, and I have no opinion on either of them that, you know, I'm, I really don't care. I don't get involved with drama on the internet. You're so but much it, better off. Yeah, yeah. And but and like I said, it just turns into this dick measuring contest about who's doing more. And to be fair, a lot of that seemed like it was coming from one side. Um, but but there's so much that goes on on the internet. Like when I was when I was a kid growing up, and and we were talking about our fathers earlier. My my dad gave me good advice, and that was you know don't say on the internet what you're not willing to say in person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of people get into trouble because they think that just because they can put text out there that, you know, in, in there's so much that's misread and misinterpreted. Like if, if we were to get together in, in person, you know, over 90% of the people who talk shit wouldn't talk shit. Right. <laughs> and, and it would just be, you know, um, there wouldn't be these misunderstandings and a lot of us would probably be able to hash it out, uh, but it's just nature of, of what this is. And so, so even, even, even when I was talking earlier about having this impression that people are judging what other people are doing, you know, maybe that's just a convention of all this being on the internet and it's so stupid. Um, yeah. So like, I don't know, I, I just try to focus on what I can do. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I'm definitely not above starting, I shouldn't say starting, but kind of jumping in on Twitter drama, but I try to keep it at, I never insult people personally, mm-hmm. and I will never go after somebody unless they've really like gone out of their way to attack me. And typically, like if it even gets to that point, I'm typically blocking somebody by that point anyways, because I'm, yeah. I'm pretty patient and I'm pretty even killed. But uh, yeah, I try to never just go after people personally just because i think that's so shitty and i know i don't want people attacking me it's not that i really like give a fuck but it's just yeah who i am i'm not here to fucking sabotage people i'm sure you and everybody else hopefully sees by you know almost 100 episodes of this fucking podcast now i ask almost every single guest hey is there anything you don't want to talk about just because uh, i'm not here to fucking sabotage people dude i want to have if i'm inviting you on you're doing me a favor and if we're talking on Twitter, typically I'm going to attack the ideas. I'm not going to attack the person. It's a cliche, but that's sincerely what I try to do because I just, you know, it's, it doesn't feel good to fucking 
tear people down aimlessly. And it's like, okay, well, what did you gain from this Twitter argument? And the world shouldn't be revolved around Twitter. I see some people that are so fixated on followers, and I'm not above saying dumb shit to get followers or ask for more followers, but like some people are so hyper fixated on that. It's like, dude, go outside, go enjoy life. Like my Twitter and the podcast are just one facet of my life amongst many other things that are absolutely awesome. Like I said, I'm going to be playing two nights this weekend, which I'm super stoked for. Um, my fiance and I go to awesome restaurants all the time. And that's like something that we just love doing is go having good food and a good dining experience. That's what I fucking love to do. And, you know, I think everybody else should have something like that. You know, don't let fucking Twitter be your whole fucking world because that is a sad existence. I really wish I didn't have this mentality that I have to be involved with Twitter to to promote my own content, because if if um if I could I could get rid of Twitter, and I'd be a much better person, and I think my life would be a lot less stressful. Um, yeah. You know, on the other hand, man, like um, I'm going to Childerberg next weekend, not this one, but the next one. We're we're leaving to go visit my um my in laws with the kids we're leaving on saturday so two days after we're recording this here um really excited about it man there i i would encourage everyone in the liberty movement if you have not gone to an in-person liberty meetup do it because mm-hmm. it, it is so fulfilling and a lot of the bullshit that we're talking about here just kind of peels away yeah. um, because last year i mean it was it was a whole bunch of liberty twitter folks and it was like at the beginning, it was just a little awkward because people didn't know. You don't know anyone without their avatar or whatever. But but then it's like, oh yeah, I mean, there's real people here on the other end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, uh, I went to the LPPA convention, and uh, it, it's just really cool to finally meet a lot of the people that you like talk to online and hang out with people. And like you said, all yeah. the bullshit just peels away and you could just be normal people. You know, you go have a shot with somebody and that's, that's kind of my thing is people yeah. uh, when I meet people, my, my go-to is, Hey, let's do a shot of crown like on me. Yeah. This is what we're doing. <laughs> so, uh, and even like at live events. So uh, I would love it. And I know this will probably never happen, but I'd love to have, people that follow me on Twitter, people I talk to come to uh, one of the Rock for Life events, which are like these big um, outdoor festivals that uh, my bass player and my drummer host, they're just a charity event. And anywhere from like 500 to over a thousand people will show up sometimes. And it's just, you know, all day you listen to live music, there's vendors, there's food. It's just a good fucking time. And, you know, since I get there, of course, first thing I do is crack open the bottle of Crown and everybody I know is getting a sip. Yeah. 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 Well, that sounds like a good time, man. Oh. It, it's like um, I'm so excited to to be meeting these people. Like I, I got a chance to meet Keith Knight for the first time mm-hmm. uh, when he flew up to the Minneapolis convention, the Minnesota LP convention. Yeah, and and Keith is one of my oldest friends, and I think it's great that we're both at the institute together because, um, you know, our little corner, Keith and me and Kyle actually have been podcasting together for a long time before the Institute uh, took us on. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny that we all ended up there because, I mean, Keith has been one of my closest friends for four years now. I mean, a wow. long time. And Kyle ha- has been around the same time. And so it's just the the level, it's so rewarding to get to meet them and, and to have this friendship that we've had for yeah. years because um, 
on some level it's like this is not real like it wasn't real life for a long time you know um and it's it's really uh really rewarding so um i got to meet keith but all the institute guys were all going to free uh freedom fest in vegas in july and and that should be a really fun experience yeah yeah, my God, if I was to get married this year, I'd be going to way more events. But you know, I've, I've had so many people ask me to do so many different things. And I'm like, ah, it's, it's not this year. And of yeah, course, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I started my podcast seven months ago. And now, you know, it's kind of picking up steam at a reasonable pace. And yeah. it's cool to be able to talk to everybody. But now they're like, oh, man, you got to come to these places. Like, oh, wow. this year, perhaps, is it the best year. But definitely next year, I'm going to be getting out and about just because I'd love to hang out with everybody and finally meet everybody. I mean, I talked to Tommy Sam. It's almost like every single day, same deal to read. Yeah. You and me shoot the shit every here and there. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I like sent Tommy my band's demos, right? Like we got uh, two new songs back and I'll send them over your way too, if you want. And uh, they're, they're fucking. Yeah, do it. Yeah, do they're, it. they're fucking killer. Um, the one song we called Cry, we play it live. I'm actually going to stream our set tomorrow night um, onto my YouTube and everything. So, uh i'll try to get it to twitter and everywhere else but uh it's like the heaviest song that our band does and i wrote it and it's it's so fucking good awesome. and then we finally got it back i'm like oh dude this this sounds just fucking killer and our singer's a, a chick right yeah. at the end she, she has like this part where she just fucking belts it out and uh we were laughing we were saying that's like her her tapping into like her inner black girl but it sounds so <laughs> fucking good and uh the solo i put down for it i'm I'm really, really proud of. I, I think it sounds fucking killer. So yeah, I'm really excited for us to kind of get this new material out. And I would love it to be able to do this, the band, and like maybe take on personal training clients and not have to work on cars for a living. That would be like the dream. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but you know, I'll keep churning them out best of my ability. Well, I've had a weird experience, man, and <clears throat> and like I was talking about with um, earlier too, talking about living. The principles that other people seem to preach and it's like i don't i don't know those people's lives and stuff and, and i don't give a shit i don't judge people yeah. pretty harshly but i've created the dream for myself in the last since december you know yeah. like like of course i'm in a special place where i have a law degree and that allows me it unlocks things for me that it doesn't for other people yeah but I have for years, I was hoping and dreaming that I'd be able to make Liberty stuff my full-time gig because it's the only thing I've done in my life, man, where it's not work, where, where it's like, I mean, I could play video games for six hours or I could work on pop on Liberty stuff, writing articles and shit for six hours. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same level of enjoyment and um, starting my own firm. I can make the money that I was making working at other people's firms or at my other jobs in maybe half the time and effort. And I'm not going to say it's a, I'm not going to say it's a cakewalk because there's, there's off hours stuff and it's running a business. So it's not like, you know, so the stress level is the same, if not more, but it frees up my time and schedule to live on my own terms. Mm -hmm. And so if I, if I want to, you know, go to Freedom Fest for a week, or if I want to one afternoon pump out an article blasting Lindsey Graham, I can do that. As long as I serve my clients and, and, and take care of my shit, I can do that. And I, I make the money that I need to make. Now, 
Now, does it help when people support my work and what I do? Yeah, it helps me justify taking that time and spending it, not earning the money I could be earning. Right. Um, but it really, I mean, it is for the first time my law degree has allowed me to, to live my life the way that I want. For the first time, um, what, what, have, what have I been saying? For the first time, my law degree is working for me not the other way around uh, right yeah well yeah i i might you might as well just call yourself a post libertarian now jesus <laughs> well, <laughs> no I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding but no, yeah, no and, I, and i mean that's just like why you know it, and that's one of my biggest bigger problems with conservatives is this mm. this tendency to be judgy not that that doesn't exist on the left sure. because it you know but yeah mm. yeah yeah dude well that, that's like you said, you're you're pumping out what you want to pump out. You put out the uh, articles you want to, and people support you for doing that. And you know, I you're the only Substack I currently subscribe to and actually yeah. pay to because I think what you do is that freaking great. Um, we've been shooting this shit for an hour, man. Jesus Christ, it fucking yeah, flew yeah. by. The uh, I kind of I appreciate that, buddy. By the way, I oh do. dude, of course. Like I said, you're uh you're one of my favorite people in the uh, Liberty movement. You, Tommy and Reed have been kind of like my, my first three that I kind of think of that. I'd be like, yeah, if I could have a beer with any of those guys, like <laughs> I, it would be probably you three. And you know, obviously there's plenty of other people that yeah. like I'd, I'd go hang out with too, but you know, you guys are like the first three to come to mind just because me, you and Tommy are like heavy metal guys. And Reed was the first guy to have me on his show and kind of help me get out there. And he's always been very supportive. So yeah, yeah. just like I said, you three guys are kind of the first, three for me um what was it about the china stuff and like what kind of got you into that like why did you kind of start pulling on that string because i noticed peter schiff funny enough funny enough i was to every single episode of his podcast and yeah. uh yeah. i remember him talking about the trade deficit with china and that was kind of like the first moment where I started raising my eyebrow. I'm like, we're hearing an awful lot about China, but I feel like there's more to this story that we're not being told. So um, did, did you kind of have a moment like that that caused you to kind of dig deeper? And if so, what was it? And if not, then kind of like, how did you get there? So it's really kind of an accident how I became, I guess, the guy. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm the guy. Connor Freeman says that I'm the guy at least in our corner of the movement for the, the, the Uyghur stuff. Yeah. Con well, Connor really knows his shit. So Connor really, <laughs> really knows his shit. And yeah. It's fucking impressive. I, if I could go on a, in a side and not answer your question immediately. Um, <laughs> I, you know, for years, I don't know if I've said this other places, but for years in our group of podcasters, like circa 2017, we knew that Kyle Anzalone was going places. Mm -hmm. Like I, there were conversations that were had, not with Kyle being a part of it, but it's <laughs> like, okay, this Kyle Anzalone kid, like he's serious about this shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's people that were doing it just as a fun hobby to shoot the shit and stuff like that. But it's like, Kyle is serious about this. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I wanted to be serious too, you know, whatever. But, but Connor is another one of those people where it's like, oh, Connor's serious about this. Like, yeah. And, and I know that they're in Keith too, of course, but, and, and I, I hate to leave people out, but it's like, 
yeah, these people are the real fucking deal. Like they are serious about this shit and mm -hmm. they take it seriously. Not that other people don't, but, but to a different level. Um, and Connor is one of those people, but it, it was, it was talking to Dave DeCamp mm -hmm. of antiwar.com. I think I had him on for an interview a while ago. I think I, so I remember watching one of them, but yeah, Dave's awesome too. Um, Dave, he's just like, he comes off like a hippie to me, but he's, he's like one so of my cool. favorite people, dude. <laughs> See why? Uh, everything about, I mean, his aesthetic, man. And I'm just going to gush about Dave for a while. Um, my love <laughs> letter to Dave DeCamp. Um, like, yeah, he just seems like, I mean, I've talked to him a few times, this great dude, man. And like his aesthetic is just awesome because to me, it seems like kind of a, a DIY kind of pipe punk kind of thing. Yeah. Um, um, and so I had him on June 21st of 2021. Mm -hmm. And I think I had him on before that, maybe. But back in February of 21, I realized that Tim Poole and Luke Rutkowski were parroting this State Department narrative about the Uyghur situation mm -hmm. and really, really fear-mongering hard about China. So real, real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, yeah. do you know kind of where they got that from? Because like the Uyghur thing at least came up on my radar and I, I, I'm not like a big foreign policy guy. I know some stuff. I know more than your average person. In fact, I was actually owning a, uh, <laughs> I was arguing with a boomer con coworker today and uh, I, I don't talk politics at work, but like if you bring the thunder to me, you're going to get fucking slapped. I will crush you if you want to have that conversation. But uh, um, it, it like had came up on my radar. And then um, I kept hearing Tim Pohl talk about it. I'm like, man, he has like such a fucking hard on for China. Like what the fuck's going on? Do you know kind of where that started? With Tim? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know for sure. Um, but with Luke, I can tell you like, um, I have respect for Luke Rudkowski and uh, in, in a lot of ways it made me kind of upset to see him stoke this narrative and yeah. to in some ways be a little bit more on it than, than Tim was with Luke. I can only speculate, but I think it's, it's a hatred for communism. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a line that libertarians walk. That's really dangerous because it's, it it's what, sets you apart from a regime change libertarian or like a good Misesian kind of, um, I, I would do a Daniel McAdams libertarian because I think he's, he's one of the embodiments of what it means to be a Ron Paulian. I mean, a Ron Paulian in foreign policy, but, but you'll find that there's a lot of libertarians out there, mainly in the Cato, not Cato so much because their foreign policy department is on point. Um, the, but like the students for liberty sphere, kind of the left Coke sphere, excluding the Cato Institute um, of, of what we would call regime change libertarians. And I think that some of them, they let their hatred for communism in like turning point would be one yeah. thing. Like, and some of them are Zionists, you know, yeah. um, but they let their hatred of communism and socialism become this regime change operation where we need to promote libertarianism, un, lib, libertarian universalism, where we, we spread liberty across the globe. Right. And you have to be very careful because like Luke went to Hong Kong 
during these protests that were connected to like the state department. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just have to be really careful with that kind of stuff. So in, in a long winded roundabout way of answering your question, I think that's where at least where it came from with Luke. And I don't really know with, with uh, Tim, I, I mean, like it's very speculative, but Tim, when he worked for vice, he was on the ground with the Maidan during the Maidan revolution that had at least was aided by the United States. Um, and so I'm very suspicious of Luke, although I, or excuse me, of Tim, although I can only speculate as to what his motives are, but let's just say it wouldn't surprise me if he had connections to the intelligence community. Sure. I'll leave yeah. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. I, I kind of believe it. I, I ran a joke the one day I kept saying, uh, cause he kept getting oh, swatted. You froze again, man. Oh my God. Let's see. It's going to be back in. We good. There we yep. go. Yeah, it throws <laughs> me. It literally, as soon as I come back, it says your internet connection is unstable. I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> Sorry, um, bro. No, I did. You're good. You're good. It's it's this fucking internet. It's driving me up a wall. Um, Tim Pool. I kept joking when he uh when he kept getting swatted that uh he's a Fed and his friends were just showing up early. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's like a constant just circle jerk of MAGA and China hawkism on Tim Pool. So I really think that's kind of where a lot of that, at least that pushed him there because, you know, he claims to be a disaffected liberal. And this is what happens with people like him and Dave Rubin is that they hate the left so much. So they decide, okay, well, whatever's the opposite of the left must be good. It's like, okay, well, is China hawking and then grifting for election fraud, that's the solution? Like, no, no, you, you can still be a good leftist, but you don't have to suck Donald Trump's dick in the process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you were kind of tapping on when you had Dave DeCamp on and that's kind of what got you interested in the, uh, China story before I got you going off down on the uh, rabbit hole of our favorite person on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) I've cooled it on the Tim pool stuff lately. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you said you had Dave DeCamp on and, um, you had noticed that they were kind of pushing the uh, Uyghur genocide and that's kind of what got you to start kind of digging in. Well, Dave really, he gave a whole different dimension to it for me because you, and in a lot of ways, our friends on the populist libertarian side, um, Dave provided the, the real counter argument that I've found in the Twitter engagements I've had with them that they fail to address and won't touch, which is, and I touched this in my article, Lou Rockwell was right about China, which is that they, they simply won't acknowledge that the United States has named China as being the enemy of the 21st century, mm-hmm. that this is a stated policy and that the actual, um, that this is reflected in our policy, that there, you know, there was something called the Asia pivot, yep. right? And then in 2018, we Trump began the Asia pivot in earnest, left over from the Obama administration. Things I've talked about, you know, ad nauseum, um, but that all, all these things exist. And that was the part for me that just didn't quite make sense. Because, you know, if you're saying, oh, well, we're not advocating a war with China. We just think that, you know, we should be tougher on China, right? Because they're stealing our bacon. Well, w- look at what 
the policy is and has been for the last couple of years. Is that what you mean by being tough on China? And if it isn't what you mean by being tough on China, then you need to disavow it and you need to do it loudly and attack people or criticize people who are advocating that policy and instead propose your own measures that are different than that. And, and so when Dave provided that context to me, that's really what lit a fire under my ass to really see what we're facing. Because, I mean, the Cold War with Russia and China is upon us, and it's here. Right. Um, so. Yeah, and the, the funniest thing to me is that when you do any digging on China, you'll pretty much see, like, holy shit, like, you think the U.S. is a bubble? China is a... 10 times bigger bubble like they spend 300 percent of debt to gdp right i mean they are running themselves rampant into the ground they're building cities and demolishing them nobody lives in the cities yeah. tons of agriculture <laughs> still done by hand like you guys really think and they had the one child policy forever so don't forget that um do you really think these people are going to be loyal enough to their government to want to come over here and do anything to us? They hate their government more than we do, right? So, and the other thing is, if you claim to be a libertarian, but you're carrying water for the regime by stating all their talking points, I kind of question if you're really anti-state or if you're just anti, you know, something else, if you're target somewhere else. So this is why I've kind of said for a while now, once again, the right's not anti-war, they're just anti-specific wars, right? So now their focus is on China. And, you know, you always say, yeah, no one's calling for war with China, but look at the policy. Um, I've pointed out a couple of times on Twitter, but Kathy Barnett, who's running for a Senate here in Pennsylvania, I think she lost, um, literally on her website, she said, if China goes to take Taiwan, we will intervene. We will tell China, no, that we won't um, allow them to take Taiwan. It's like, you really, what do you think they're going to do? Are they just going to say, okay, whatever, you know, we're, we're not going to have Taiwan. Like, you realize that could escalate fast, and we don't know what that looks like when it goes south. Uh, like, that is a big deal. You can't just say, we're going to stop another country from doing something. And I understand, respect the sovereignty of Taiwan, whatever, but are you willing to go over there and die? I'm not. <laughs> right. And it is kind of like a rock and a hard place because of course I support secessionist movements, you know, but, but the United States as a country has no place saying that Taiwan is not part of China. I mean, it's just none of our fucking business. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So if, if, um, if you're going to sit here and say, well, no one wants to have war with China. If that's the measure, yeah. then even John Bolton doesn't want war with China. <laughs> because he said in an interview that, well, now do I think that we should go to kinetic conflict with China? No. At least not right now, I guess. But. Yeah. yeah. Should we go to war with China? No. But like, if we fired bullets their way and sailed warships through there and we're flying over there and cut off all trade and stop them from doing anything that they plan to do, then we should do all that. But war, no, war's off the table, but everything else, we could talk about that. Yeah. And, and Dave, Dave actually had a great piece uh, talking about, and I can't remember exactly a couple weeks ago, maybe talking about the lessons from Ukraine as applied to Taiwan. Because oh, I'll have to many, look at that. Yeah. In many ways, it's, it's kind of a parallel situation. It's like, how how much can you go in and support? I mean, like the the allegory is right there, Taiwan to Ukraine. There's so many similarities with the U.S. policy towards 
towards the two entities, mm -hmm. shall I say? Yeah, I think it's a concern going forward. And we covered this on the last show that you did with that, Angela. Um, yeah. The midterms could prove really ugly for the... Uh, Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll make sure I put that in the uh, description. Yeah, um, sorry. I, I put the link. The article's called The Lesson from Ukraine. China's red lines on Taiwan shouldn't be ignored. Dave DeCamp, May 2nd. So Okay, sorry. yeah. I will make sure I share that, and I'm going to read that myself as well. Um, but, I, you know, if we're going to have this red sweep, which I think it's going to happen, but I don't think it's as guaranteed as everybody thinks, uh, I feel like there's some there's going to be some fucky shit. And plus with the uh, whole abortion debate going on right now, that's uh, like a big wedge issue for some people. And some people just will not move on that. Um, it's, it's not, like I said, a 100% guaranteed thing. And we're going to, uh, a lot of these Republicans fucking hate China and they will do anything to stoke the flames there. And once again, we're not calling for with China. Okay. Well, what's your end goal? What are you willing to do to be tough on China? What You need to lay that out because, once again, all the stuff we're doing right now, it doesn't look good. And especially when we're already, you know, poking the bear when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. Um, should we really try to poke the bear, you know, on the other side as well? Two nuclear powers. Eventually, we just got to accept, hey, we're not the global empire anymore. There's going to be somebody else that's kind of, you know, a higher power too, but... They're in worse shape than us. Should we really be concerned? I get it that, you know, they have a lot of Hollywood and everybody bought off, but for how long? Yeah, and I um, I just finished reading Ted Carpenter of the Cato Institute. He had a book called NATO, uh, The Dangerous Dinosaur. Um, <laughs> and and um, I think I tweeted some pictures of that on, on mm -hmm. Twitter anyways, but he – he was saying that it, it seemed, and he wrote this in like 2019, so right before COVID, and he was saying that it seems like NATO has come to a bit of an impasse where the the old Europe wants less um, wants less U.S. involvement in NATO, mm -hmm. and it seemed like NATO was really coming to kind of a crisis point where you have people like Donald Trump going out and saying that NATO is obsolete, uh, we want to get out of NATO these kind of things. But then at the same time, Mike Pompeo is, or excuse me, um, Vice President Mike Pence is going around to the Eastern European nations saying, absolutely, we are committed to NATO. Article 5 is a big deal for us. Those kind of things saying that we would militarily support the Eastern uh, countries. And you had a lot of um, rhetoric from, I can't remember if, it, yeah, I think it was Gates. I think he was um, I can't remember his first name, but General Gates. He was um, big up in the in the military, and um, he he was saying that basically that NATO members need to start pulling their own weight. Is that we're basically de facto providing security guarantees for all of Europe, and the United States is the force doing that. The U.S. basically is NATO, and it makes me wonder why the Ukraine crisis came at the time that it did. And I'm not saying that there's any kind of conspiracy connection behind it, but it's, it's curious that the Ukraine crisis comes to a head when people in, in the foreign policy community and, and, and um, Ted Carpenter is in the Council on Foreign Relations. He's a member of it. So he knows what the foreign policy establishment is thinking. Mm -hmm. um, he, he sees that NATO is coming to some kind of a head situation yeah. 
And, and so, but I, I also wrote a piece about how I think it's that Washington is daydreaming if they think that they can put a stopper in the NATO situation with, with Ukraine, and then at the same time still have their policy of enveloping China on the other side and uh, going after China for the 21st century. So it seems to me that their psychology is that, oh, well, we can defeat Putin's Ukraine in the short term, or at least start an insurgency there and, um, you know, encircle China at the same time when we can already see that the stockpiles that the United States has are being depleted because we're sending so much to Ukraine. So I'm just so skeptical. And I think that they're, they're, kidding themselves if they think they can you know do both at the same time yeah yeah and i think it's absolutely true and especially 30 trillion dollars in debt and then if you measure it correctly double digit inflation and we're yeah. supposed to believe that uh we're going to be able to handle two other superpowers if you want to call them that i don't know that yeah. i could really call them that but i can't remember what the nds calls them emerging powers um, and then rogue, don't forget the rogue regimes, Kyle, Iran and North Korea. And the North <laughs> Korea situation is coming to a head too because they, okay. they're testing new nuclear missiles or, or new nuclear devices it's, or they're threatening to. And then there was a piece in antiwar.com the other, the other day talking about Korea, North Korea um, is, is being hit with COVID right now. And who knows what the hell is going to happen there because they're doing a legit like eternal shutdown lock you i don't know how much of that is true but it seems like they're doing this kind of lockdown and so i don't know how much of it is 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 propaganda but if it's coming from antiwar.com and they're saying that you know the country is is very food insecure the way it is right now and if they are being hit with covid and they're doing totalitarian things who knows what instability is going to be there and in what level china is going to help them with that yeah, I, I who the fuck knows, dude. It's uh, twenty twenty two is definitely fucking interesting. As far as Iran goes, it seems like they're they're kind of like quiet on that. Like Trump was bad in Iran, although he could have been a lot worse. Um, it doesn't seem like anybody really cares about Iran because we've heard for fucking thirty years the Freedman Unit was originally coined as a term because they kept saying Iran's, you know, so many months away from having a nuclear weapon, but yeah, it seems right. like just that whole deal has kind of died down. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in some ways, Iran is kind of a blind spot for me. Um, you know, one of the things is, is like the Israel Palestine situation. I haven't spent a whole lot of time studying. I, Iran is not something I've spent a lot of time studying aside from like the Iraq, Iran war and in, in the, uh, in the eighties. So, um, in listening to like what Connor and Kyle have, have done in terms of the work, it seems like the U S returning to the Iran deal is not something that's going to happen. And I, I think that it could very well happen, but it seems like there's been, you know, uh, hiccup after hiccup after, um, things like that. So, yeah, your guess is as good as mine on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was uh, kind of the last thing I remember hearing. I can't remember. Uh, I, I think it might have been that show with you and Connor where you guys might have briefly touched on the Iran deal because uh, Trump left that, what was it, 2018? Yeah, I think so. I 
I actually, I wrote an article about it that I'm going to be putting in the book I'm working on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that, um, I remember Scott Horton talking about it when I was first trying to kind of learn about Iran and, uh, he, and Scott fashioned, Oh, that was the only good thing that Obama did in his entire presidency. He can do his yeah. victory lap. And other than that, he could shop about it. And yeah. That was, uh, I had to see what Justin yeah. Raimondo thought about it when mm-hmm. I was working on that article because, um, you know, towards towards the end of his life, Justin was someone who who was kind of a fan of Trump mm-hmm. in a certain way. Although um, Justin did criticize him for for a lot of the things that he had done, but it seemed like you remember those libertarians back in in the Trump years who who kind of got on the Trump train a little bit. I think that Walter Block was one of them. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that? I think Justin was a was a big one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder, and I've pondered this before, and I haven't read any like Murray Rothbard's work, but I wonder what like some of the great libertarian thinkers would think about like 2020 and Trump. And I feel like every libertarian you ask, they're going to put their bias behind it. Like if you ask the paleos, they're going to say, oh, he'd be all for Trump. And then if you ask all the LP guys, they're going to say, oh, he'd be for, he wouldn't like Trump. Like, I feel like everybody yeah. would just have some kind of inherent bias in the way that they're going to portray that. But it, it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, how would all the uh, figures that kind of build our movement, how would they look at everything that's gone on, especially over the last two and a half years? I've often wondered what, um, what Justin would have thought about the post-libertarians. Mm-hmm. And I've I've gone back and kind of scoured some of his his speeches to see what he would have thought because you know Justin Justin was a gay man mm-hmm. you know and and I guess I guess for the audience who doesn't know Justin Raimondo uh, a big writer at antiwar.com wrote several books one of them was an auto uh, excuse me a biography of Murray Rothbard uh, called Enemy of the State he a prolific anti-war writer and and a gay rights activist because he he was a gay man living in San Francisco. So, but he was he was a um, he was a hardcore uh, right winger, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of a crotchety <laughs> guy at the same time. So, yeah. uh, I did an episode with Scott, kind of talking about Justin because I am the Justin Raimondo Fellow at anti or uh, excuse me at Libertarian Institute, um, and and I was I was very honored to take that title. And I never would have assumed it for myself if not for the fact that it was Scott's idea to call me that. And um, I would say that I'm not worthy of that title if not for Scott recommending it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So to be clear about that, but as a guiding star, I try to figure out what Justin would have thought about this because being a right winger, a crotchety right winger, but also being you know, a gay rights activist, um, I think he would have been called the Walbert. I do. <laughs> because he, he had a debate about whether or not gays should have, um, about gay marriage. And uh, his answer was, well, the state shouldn't be involved with marriage. Uh, and that's the Walbertarian answer, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of sympathy for their arguments, but at the same time, it's such short-term thinking and, I, I just can't get with it. And so like there was a poll that uh, I don't know if you've, if you follow the Cajun libertarian, um, Noel Lind, he uh, put up a poll and asked who was the worst Biden, Trump, Obama, Bush. 
and overwhelmingly people picked Biden. And I, I was kind of surprised by that, but then again, also not surprised, but yeah. it's like, okay, well, you can look at Biden and say he's horrible. And yes, I agree. But where did all this start? Where did the NSA start? Where did the war on terror start? Yeah. Where did all the spying start? You know, I, I was trying to think, would I pick Bush or Obama? Because Obama of, just really Obama hit the gas Yemen. pedal. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing is that it's Obama definitely escalated, but, and not that I think that there wouldn't have been a lot of that stuff if not for Bush, but it's like, he really started everything. Like even some of the stuff with the vaccine passports, they're using some of the policies put in through the NSA to, you know, verify vaccine passports. So it's literally like a majority of this stuff started with George Bush and people just, they're, they're too focused on the right now to think back to the root cause issue. And yeah, you can gain some wins in the short term, but I really think it has to be, you have to go to the root of the issue and fix that before you try and just do little reactionary stuff. Cause you'll never, you'll be playing whack-a-mole for the rest of your life. And that's not a game I want to play. It, it's so funny because it's like, well, how bad, how far back do you want to go? Because, you know, mm -hmm. if, if we want to get to the whole, like the root of how, um, the terrible NATO confrontationalism, well, then maybe you go back to the Clinton years in, right. in Kosovo because, um, Ted Carpenter puts, uh, you, he makes the distinction that, okay, well, NATO didn't become an offensive alliance until Kosovo and Bosnia. Um, so you want to go back to the nineties at that point in time. Okay. Well, all right. Well, do you want to go back to further back to the United States' terrible Middle East policy? Then, then you go to um, Carter, Jimmy Carter, and you read like Andrew Basevich, the America's War for the Greater Greater Middle East. Okay. Well, you want to go further back? You know, it's it's that kind of situation. Yeah. It was just in that poll they asked about four, but yeah. I, I, oh, I'm it, sorry. I'm getting autistic. Oh, no, no, you're good. You're good. Because uh, honestly, it, once it gets kind of past Bush, uh, I'll be completely honest. I just, I'm not that well read. And, and yeah, I know a little bit here it's and hard. there. But it's hard. It, yeah, dude, listen, I know how to work on cars. I know a shitload about building muscle and nutrition. <laughs> I know some stuff about, you know, libertarianism. I don't sit here and read this stuff. I know some stuff about foreign policy. I dabble in a lot of stuff, but like I kind of put my flag in the ground on the nutrition and training and the uh, the automotive stuff. That's like where I know the most. Other than that, I'll be honest, a lot of stuff I'm, I have like a cursory knowledge of, not even cursory, but I, I just, how do you, where do you start? Where do you end? Like, where do you learn all this stuff? And I know read anti-war every day but yeah. <laughs> it's well, like how how far do you have to dig i feel kind of bad because it's like uh you know i like in that interview my last episode with connor freeman we and you alluded to that i we were talking about and and sometimes i kind of like i come off as an elitist because i i shame people sometimes and i i feel bad about it and i just kind of like think about it later about you know should i have said that or should i not have but but really I guess my biggest thing is just that people in, in years ago, I would think about years ago, how I would shame people for, it's like, okay, well, you know, you, you can't just look at memes. You have to actually read fucking something, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I would be someone who would be saying that in maybe 2018, 2019, like, like, because at that point in time, the, 
the radical libertarian movement was rapidly expanding with its own like internet culture. I mean, there were fucking hoppians with fucking anime memes coming out of everywhere. And it was like, okay, well, you learned this from, from memes. Yeah. Like, you can't just do that. You gotta, you gotta read the shit, man. Right. And then now it's just evolved to a point where it's like, okay, well, you gotta actually like read stuff about history and, and to, to say, to have some kind of principled opposition to, to the wars, because you got to be able to explain, like, if you meet anyone who actually knows about this, they have talking points to combat your talking points. And the only way you can really undermine that is to know exactly what you're talking about. And um, I don't know exactly where I was going with that, but I feel self-conscious about shaming people for it because it's like, I know how it is. You, you got 24 hours in, in a day and there's, you know, kids that are screaming and hitting each other and shitting on the floor, you know? Yeah, dude, like I said, it's just a, a fucking deep dive. And I, I should be more well-informed, but it's like, holy fuck, you know, another one on the list. And then I want to make yeah. sure I'm prepared for podcasts. So I listen to just about everybody's show before I have them on. It's someone like you or Tommy or Reed, you know, I, I shoot the shit with you guys all the time. So yeah. we're, you know, we're good to go typically, but I, although I did listen to your show with Tommy this morning and then your show with Connor earlier this week, just because I wanted to listen to him, but you know, I, it's like, I try to stay prepared and on top of things at all times. So it's like, okay, well, what am I eventually going to be able to sit down and listen to a thorough history of war stuff? And I know probably get, uh, you know, enough already or something like that to just get a, a little bit better of a uh, history on it or one of Scott's books or someone's and just read more articles. But it's like, man, that's just like so much. Like, I feel like I'm staring at a mountain of information to consume and learn and memorize. Well, I mean, if you, um, if it makes you feel any better or if it makes me seem like maybe more of a hypocrite, but less of an <laughs> asshole. This entire shelf right here, those are all books that I bought as research to write the book that I really want to write. Mm -hmm. And none of them have been read. This shelf right here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this book I read. Anyways, yeah. A lot of those books haven't been read yet because I just don't have time, but you know, it's funny in the libertarian community and in, in the movement, it's like the size of your bookshelf is like a dick measurement. So it's like I had to get a big bookshelf to fit all of my Liberty books and then put them in the background. Yeah, you know what, my, my background, and I'm fortunate because I, I, I realize I'm just the fucking dude trying to push fitness in the fucking, uh, in the sphere. Yeah. Um, my dick measuring contest is just the guitars. Yeah, well, you're beating me, dude. I got <laughs> three serviceable ones that are actually nice. Yeah, so, so I got those three over there, one right there, and then obviously all the ones right to the right right there. And uh, I got one in a bag, the one I'm going to be playing this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would like to have more. But, uh, yeah, they're just it's, – it's not in the books right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. Man. Yeah. Um, I guess we should uh, probably close out. We've been shooting the shit for an hour and a half, and this was yeah. a uh, pretty cool talk, and especially because we didn't just talk libertarianism the entire time, so it's kind of nice to take that break. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It, it is. Yeah, dude. Um, where can everybody find you, and uh, what do you got going on in the uh, near future? Yeah, well, uh, libertyweekly.net. You can find me there. You can find me at libertarianinstitute.org. 
Um, right now I'm switching from Substack to my Ghost um, platform. At, and the URL for that is libertyweekly.club. And so that's how I'm doing all of my support stuff. People who are currently subscribed are, there's going to be no change for you, but it's, it's a infrastructure that I actually own and have a lot more control over. That's less cancelable. Uh, I'm working on releasing my first book, which will be an ebook. Um, and I'm going to Childerberg. And then I have like four days after that, when I get home where my kids and wife will not be home yet, that I'm hoping to finish writing my book and get that off to the editor guy. Um, but I also have a, a jury, like a, a trial that I'm doing on the 14th of, of June. So um, anyways, that's what my project is that I'm working on right now is getting my first ebook done that I'll be giving away to email list subscribers and supporting listeners will get like a physical copy signed by me, but it'll be a, a limited release kind of thing. Mm. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I just need time to finish it. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, I definitely feel that I got yeah. so much shit going on at all times. Like, okay, well, when can I do this? When yep. can I do that? <laughs> you know, dude. Yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, dude. This is uh, your third time. And finally, me and you got to shoot the shit. And I'm glad we got to uh, hit most of the music stuff that I kind of wanted to hit on. Too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think, fun. yeah, I think everybody will enjoy this. So, like I said, the first hour is pretty much just shooting the shit about stuff that's not libertarianism. So, uh, yeah, dude. Um, thanks for coming on. And uh, until next time, everybody, take care. <laughs>